the night before Christmas and all through the ship. Not a sensor was flashing, not even a blip. When there was a huge crash to the bridge I then ran. And there upon St. Nicholas with joystick in hand. With Atari's Miss Pac-Man, he gobbled and scored. Then on to Jungle Hunt, he played till he roared. From out of his sack, he pulled dozens of games, all the great ones from Atari, our favorite names. Before I could thank him, he beamed out of sight. With a Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. I will open the show as I always do. Uh, how do I open the show? Oh, hello. Welcome to Atari Bytes, uh, the podcast where we, what do I say? Where we uh, bite into an Atari game and see if it bites back. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. What Patrick just said. Uh, we uh, usually, we uh, we take a, a look into the story. Man, I am messed up tonight. We, we uh, dig into the story within a game and see if that story bites us back. Uh, this is episode 296. Uh, welcome, everybody. I promise I haven't been drinking yet. Maybe once we get into this movie, I'll, I'll be tempted to. But that uh, is a clue as, well, as far as what we're doing this week. First of all, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, happy holidays. If you're listening to this episode when it comes out, it is the day after Christmas. If i looking at my calendar correctly. Spoiler, we're recording this way before Christmas. But I think that's when it comes out. So uh, I hope everyone has had a happy uh, holiday season. You can uh, work off your your holiday calories uh, just sitting on the couch listening to us talk about a movie. As has become tradition on the podcast, every uh, year I set aside the last episode for you know I uh, I put away the game console. Uh, I set down the, the quill and, and roll up the parchment on which I write the uh, short stories every episode. I put all that away. And I just, I sit back and watch a movie and it's usually a movie that relates somehow to a game that uh, we've talked about throughout the year. If you're listening to the podcast in order, you know that the previous episode to this one, we talked about a game called Krull, which was awesome or terrible. Uh, I don't know because as we're recording this, I haven't played it, but it was one of those, or maybe it was just meh, I don't know. Uh, It'll be a surprise to me. So, uh, so we talked about the game Krull in the last episode, and we thought it made sense for this episode. Then we're going to talk about the 1983 sci-fi adventure Krull, starring Ken Marshall. But we'll get into that here in a couple of minutes. First, I want to introduce my guest. As you know, it's also tradition for this episode that I beg somebody to come in and sit with me on the podcast and talk about the movie. I thought this year it would be fitting to, uh, in keeping with the holiday season, to exact a little revenge, uh, because you'll remember, I think it was just about a year ago, maybe not quite that long, that I played a game, I, I played the Porky's Atari Adaptation. And I did that at the suggestion of Patrick McCarthy, who I am very grateful is a Patreon supporter and a longtime fan, uh, a longtime listener of the show, but he made me play this really yes. awful game. So I thought it would be fitting to uh, make him do a little work in exchange for that. So I reached out. He was kind enough to say yes. I guess he had a weak moment or something. 
And he said, sure, I would be happy to come and talk about Krull on your podcast. So, uh, Patrick, thanks for coming by. How you doing? Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. I can't tell you how much I enjoy the podcast and uh, your stories and all the work that you do. And uh, it's just terrific. So I'm, I'm just thrilled to be on the show. Well, thank you again for coming. I'm also kind of excited because you are a writer yourself, right? And you work in TV and film. Yeah, I've been a TV writer for about 20 years or so. Uh, sitcoms okay. on the comedy side. And I've read, like many screenwriters, I've read a ton of screenwriting books, but haven't actually written a screenplay. So I have, you know, I have some decent insight that maybe uh, we can talk about. Um, we, we have that know, in common. <laughs> we have that in common. I've also read screenplay writing books and have not written a screenplay. <laughs> Plays and books go. and movies for uh, short stories, but no no movies or TV for that matter. Uh, I, I have to mention, among the things that you've done is you worked on uh, Good Luck Charlie for Disney Channel. Yes. Um, and I have to mention it because Good Luck Charlie was a big deal in my house when my kids were younger. And uh, they, they are excited that, that I have this, that I get this chance to talk to someone who has that connection to the show. So um, it, it was a really, you know, that, that, really good show. Thank you so much. It, it, it's always nice to hear that. And uh, it was just such a great experience. I mean, my, my writing partner, Erica, at the time, um, and I got this offer to do this show. It was like 13 episodes of a show called Oops, which was the original title for Good Luck Charlie, as in this couple has a surprise baby. Ah. And we had no idea what it was going to be. We had never worked at Disney Channel before. And you know, if someone had said, this will be the best experience you've ever had, it'll go 100 episodes, and you'll have a fabulous cast. I mean, it could not have gone better. We we were there through the whole, same core writers through the whole show, wonderful people. We had so much fun doing the show, so many funny people, and uh, it really broke through. You know, we, we, we used to get people to come to the show, and they would say, uh, you know, thank you for putting something on that I can watch with my kids. Mm -hmm. I really, and we can both enjoy it. Yep. And it, it just meant so much to, to hear that because when I was growing up, those were the shows that, that I enjoyed. I'd watch New Heart with my mom or um, Cheers or Taxi and all these great shows. And we, we enjoyed that together. So to be able to, you know, pay it back and, and maybe do something for Disney that was a little bit, um, you know, uh, more all ages than a lot of the other stuff on mm -hmm. Disney, which is sort of geared more directly toward like 10 year olds, uh, was great. And the, the, the cast was so much fun. And we had such fun in the writer's room. So anyway, I'm, I'm really glad to hear it. And I'm so glad your kids enjoyed it. And, and you guys did too. The thing I, I appreciate as, as the parent, like you said, an all ages show, I appreciated that. And the thing I appreciate about it, the show, like Good Luck Charlie, that is is somewhat rare. Certainly other shows do it too, but this one was really good at, at there was a certain amount of, um, I don't know what the word is, jokes and the, the plots and everything were certainly all ages, but they were sophisticated enough that as the dad sitting there watching mm -hmm. these episodes, sometimes many times, uh, I could still enjoy them. It, it didn't, right. like some kids shows do, kind of grates on the parents after a while. But uh, Good Luck Charlie was one of those that I didn't mind sitting through, uh, you know, multiple viewings. Oh, dude, that 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 means a lot. And I, yeah. I one thing I remember about that show was like, especially very early on, having this sort of subversive feel in the writer's room, like 
can we really do this? I mean, <laughs> Disney had certain restrictions on us, but yeah. we were, you know, we were making a show that was really, we were working hard to make ourselves laugh. And, and uh, you know, it just felt like, I can't believe we're getting away with doing some of the things we're doing with Gabe's character, with Mrs. Dabney, um, with Ivy, Teddy's friends, and so many, and certainly with uh, Lee Allen Baker's characters, the crazy mom on the show. And yeah. it just had wonderful writers and and it was just a great time. So definitely the best experience I had in 20 years of TV. Yeah. Of course, I invited you here to talk about a specific piece of writing and film. We're going to talk about the 1983 adventure, Prull. I guess sort of top line overall, uh, what's your what's your take on the movie? Uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, OK, I I, I enjoyed it, but I, I suspect that had I seen it in 1983 as a kid, I might have been like, eh. You know, I was hoping for a lot more, lost my interest. It was kind of boring. But now looking back at it as a, a nostalgic retro piece of 1983 special effects and wackiness and kitsch and all this other stuff, I, I found it was really enjoyable, you know, in, in sort of like an, an ironic way. Yeah, I had I was a kid in 1983, but by then you had and I've never heard of this movie until now. But by then, by 83, you had already three Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I guess some Star Trek stuff, too. But so maybe it's uh, sort of hamstrung coming out of the gate, if, if that means anything. It, you know, by, by having to live up to people's expectations that, oh, it's going to be another Star Wars. Exactly. I, I read somewhere, um, some review said, called it a sci-fi swashbuckler, a hodgepodge of Star Wars on Excalibur, um, which came out in 1980. And I thought, you know, that's like, just because you've never seen that combination before, doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea to do it. (laughs) But I just found it sort of silly and enjoyable now, looking back at it now. And and the fact that it was this weird hybrid of like Game of Thrones and those Roger Corman rip off Star Wars movies like Laser Blast or whatever that movie was, Star Crash or Battle Beyond the Stars. I, I watched this movie twice. Uh, I watched mm. it several days ago and took notes and everything. And and yeah. uh, I, I, frankly, I, I didn't like the movie a whole lot. I thought, well, this this is not, I mean, it certainly wasn't the worst thing I'd ever seen, but it, it was not good. Uh, but yeah. I watched it again today and I, I'm, I'm still not going to say it's a great movie, but I did notice... M- some interesting things mm. in it that honestly a lot of the visuals are kind of interesting yeah um, i was i was gonna say the the um the, the uh i got the cast list here lissa being stuck in like the sort of like jonah and the whale in like the physical yes structure with the hand and all that it was really interesting and it does look like she's walking around inside a whale skeleton um mm-hmm. I had that thought. I, I at first I kept thinking, just heard this vague idea, a, a rib cage, and then I realized today, well, no, actually, what it looks like is just a full blown whale skeleton. Um, right. Uh, but it, actually, I, I just realized we should probably back up for a second and give people an idea what this movie is. Yes. Um, so, well, I guess I'll ask you how how would you summarize the the plot? What what is this? What's this movie about? You know what's funny is I was just looking at the poster, which basically gave a decent description of the movie. And it sort of says, without getting too bogged down, it's like in a in a time different than our own, um, 
a a future king needs to save his princess from the clutches of an evil beast or his entire world may be destroyed. Something like that. I mean, that, that's yeah. basically the, the plot, which made me laugh because I thought for the first movie for us to talk about together, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that was more like a video game come to life than Crow. Yeah. Yeah. I can you see know, that. I mean, even by that uh, description of like, you know, it was like, it's like Donkey Kong, right? You know, the, the <laughs> Kong comes and takes away the princess and Mario. That's the inciting incident. Mario has to go find her. Um, and so many of the scenes, as we'll get to, you know, had little things and it'll be, I can't wait to hear your, your episode where you play the game because it seemed like they would adapt so cleanly to a video game. It would. I'm a little worried. Like I said, I probably, in the, in, uh, in the interest of, of full um full preparation i probably should have gone ahead and played the game so that i could talk about it today but i, I have not no, um, but uh my worry is that the game is going to end up being something that's really not even related you know it's just it has the name crawl yep. that seems to be what happens a lot uh these game adaptations for at least in the atari era and what you get on uh, in your game really doesn't relate to the movie at all i'm gonna guess i'll just make a prediction and it's gonna be wrong i'm sure but uh, the game is going to be like um, it's going to be that uh, that the opening of the movie with the big uh, the, what turns out to be the fortress gliding through space, which, by the way, is a yes. really cool image. It actually opens really nice. You know, what's funny. I was thinking as the as at the pace of the movie, I noticed this with a lot of kids. I was thinking, like, I think Henry would probably be like. I feel like I'm being tortured having to watch the opening of this movie because maybe in 1983, it was cool to have that like 2001 style opening or Star Wars where you wait, but the pace of it for a modern audience of well, kids would be I will like, tell you, uh, both be Henry, who is 12 and, and my wife both watched this with me the other day when I watched it okay. and they hated it. Yeah. Um, uh, Henry, for the reasons you just said that the, the uh, he 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 likes to point as everybody does. He likes to point out where the graph where the uh, special effects look really terrible. And you know, even though I, I I try to tell him, you know, 1983 technology was different and all that, he gets it. Right. But he has no time for it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So you're you're right on. He he hated. It. And when I when I mentioned to, to them that I was going to have to watch the movie again, or I wanted to watch the movie again, they got these you know, sort of horrified looks on their faces. Like I was going to make them sit through it again. I didn't then. They didn't have to sit through it again. But uh, yeah, they were not fans. I, so I try to think, what about me in 1983? I was I was Henry's age. Yeah, we're the same age, though. So I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I was also well, I wasn't 12. sure. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure how old you were. But uh, so I was Henry's age in 1983 when this mm -hmm. movie came out. And uh so I tried to think, well, would I have been excited about it? I think the answer must be no, because I don't even remember ever hearing of this movie before. So I think I was probably preoccupied with Return of the Jedi in 1983. Right. As probably most of the, the, the movie going public, which is why they didn't spend their money on Kroll. I, did, I didn't look it up. I don't know when one came out versus the other. But, you know, it's funny. I was reading um, something on like, Deadline Hollywood, if you ever go to that website where they have all the Hollywood gossip and everything. And yeah. um, so someone was saying that, um, I think that was on Deadline, that um, 
what's his name? Christopher Nolan's new movie is going to be about J. Robert Oppenheimer. Okay. Ooh. And it's a, it's a hundred million dollar movie and it's going to cost another hundred million dollars to market. And they said it's really a last of a dying breed because Hollywood is at the point now where unless it's a pre-existing franchise that people know, like the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, every other movie that's at the multiplex, they're not going to put that kind of money on a completely original world that no one is familiar with. Now, of course, that's a movie about a historical figure, but I was thinking of Crawl, like it was something, say what you will about it, it was a completely original vision of swords and sorcery and the future and lasers and it had all kinds of wacky scenes to it i I can't imagine a movie like this getting made today no uh i I mean the movies they make today that's a whole other conversation i guess um the the, sort of the state of where we're at with movies today but um, i i just looked it up crawl's budget was 30 million that was in 1983 dollars but their box office was 16.9. So yeah, mm. yeah, it was a big bomb. I don't know what 30 million translates into in 2000 or 2021 dollars, but it, it, their budget was relatively small. Mm. Um, so the movie was directed. It, there, there are some names attached to this movie. Yeah. It's directed by Peter Yates, who I don't really know much about, honestly. He directed Breaking Away, which is my wife's favorite movie. The uh, okay. bicycle kids from Indiana um, who band together. It's it's a real like sleeper kind of underdog classic. Okay. Um, but I don't know if he's done much in the sci-fi genre outside of this. He also directed Bullet, which is a, a famous film. Holy smokes. He did The Deep and The Dresser. I don't know those, I guess. Um, the Deep was like a Jaws kind of ripoff with Jacqueline Bissett and Robert Shaw that I haven't seen since I was a kid if I ever saw it, but I'd like to see it. Um, I'm just looking at his, uh, uh, I'm just looking at Wikipedia here. Yeah, let's go to IMDb. Yeah. So we got him. It, the movie stars Ken Marshall. He's the, uh, he's the hero Colwyn, I think is his name in the, in the movie. Right. Um, I looked him up. He looked maybe kind of familiar to me. Um, it looks like maybe he did some films. I, I gathered maybe he was more of a stage actor. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, I thought the actors were pretty good in this. They they were they were giving it. It reminded me of Game of Thrones in a way because I was never a huge fan of that show, but I always appreciated the actors giving their all, and I felt like they were treating the stuff like it was Shakespeare. Yeah, I agree. They uh, they yeah. tried to sell it. Some, you know, even the parts that maybe maybe weren't so great, uh, they were trying to sell it. And I appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to find Ken Marshall here. See if yeah. he did that is uh, that we might recognize his most recent credit. It looks like on IMDb is in 2003. He was had a two episode run as a bartender on a show called The District. Mm, wow. Um. He was in a TV movie in 2001, Shaka Zulu, The Citadel. Uh, there's some other TV in the years mm. before that. I'm trying to find his last film. A lot of TV throughout the 80s and 90s. Okay, good for him. Yeah. He did not, it doesn't look like he did a whole lot of movies, is what I'm saying. More In the later years, more TV and maybe more stage stuff in the past. No other movies, big movies anyway, that I can see. Interesting. 
I did not write down the actress's name who plays uh, Lisa. Is it Lisa or Lissa? Lisa, I have it here. It's Lisette Anthony. Oh, okay. And you know what was cracking me up, Bill, was that um, Lisette Anthony, uh, who doesn't have much to do in this movie, but um, also Liam Neeson is plays one of the sort of band of merry men that goes along for yeah, the ride. He, he is probably him and Robbie Coltrane. Yes. Who are, are probably the two names that really kind of went on to become names. Yeah. Um, they were not at this point, they were pretty uh, relatively new in their careers, I think. Uh, at least they yeah, weren't, they weren't household names yet. So, but Lisette um, Anthony and Liam Neeson were also in the Woody Allen movie Husbands and Wives. So I thought if we ever hit Powerball and open like a Quentin Tarantino style double feature theater, we can have <laughs> a um, Lisette Anthony Liam Neeson double feature of Krull and Husbands and Wives and just see who comes to it. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. That's a double feature. You know, people would come. To see I that. would be there. Yeah, I would absolutely. be there. I would do. All right. So Lizette Anthony was in. Oh, I saw this movie. She was in Dracula Dead and Loving It oh. in 95. That was a Mel Brooks thing? That was a Mel Brooks thing. Her and I, didn't, I don't remember her from the film, but Stephen Weber was in it, I think. And Liam uh-huh. Neeson and uh-huh. or, or not Liam Neeson. Um Leslie Nielsen is what I was oh, trying okay. to say. She was in uh, Dark Shadows. I guess that must be the remake in 91. Um, right. uh, honestly, it's a bunch of movies I haven't heard of, uh, which doesn't mean anything. But there's a movie called Hello Sunshine. We Still Kill the Old Way. I like the title. <laughs> we Still Kill the Old Way in 2014. Holby City. Okay. Here, here. If you want to make it a triple feature. Yeah. There's a movie, uh, evidently, that she was in called Strippers versus Werewolves. Okay. That's perfect. I don't know what's going on there, but and a bunch more movies I haven't really heard of. I mean, she's it's got so a long... to be an actor, isn't it? You know, you got to... Yeah, I mean, she's got a long... There's a lot of stuff here. She's worked a lot. It's just not yeah. that I can see this entire thing huge, uh, which doesn't right. mean anything necessarily. But and then we've got Freddie Jones. I don't know who he, who he played. Um, that's the other name. Y N Y R. I have the cast list here. Oh, oh. oh okay. He Freddy was the, the, old was he man. the old guy that came down from the mountains. Yeah, in my notes, okay. I just call him Obi Wan Kenobi because yeah, that's yes. basically the part that he's he's playing in this movie. That's the role. That I personally have have such a soft spot for like grindhouse movie ripoffs of popular movies where they just click like um. There's a movie. I've never actually, well, like there are several movies that do it for like Animal House, you know, where it's just clearly like the same, but there, there's a Bluto and there's an Otter and it's just, it's the same exact thing. Or, or the horror movie versions where they rip off Friday the 13th and Halloween. I have a certain soft spot for that. And clearly they were doing that with Obi-Wan and Luke uh, in this movie. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and Han Solo too, really. With Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Robbie Coltrane and Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson's one of the bandits. Uh, I call them bandits. The the robbers or whatever. That right. I will get to Robbie Coltrane. Who is he in the movie? I know he in- was. Um, he was uh, also one of the bandits. He he was sort of like the one who was like constantly doubting that this mission was gonna 
we must have rocks on our heads kind of guy. Okay. For some reason I couldn't place him. Oh, he was so young and it, yeah. he was almost unrecognizable. Well, even Liam Neeson, it, I was halfway through the movie before I realized, yeah. oh, there he is. Um, I know. Maybe one of the biggest names attached to this movie is James Horner, who did the music. Right. Um, who He's done a lot of music for a lot of big movies. Um, Titanic, I think, was one of them. Wow. Avatar. I forget what the others, some of the others, but let's see if I can find Interesting. It. Yeah, the uh, score surprising. was good. Yeah, the score, I liked the, the music just fine. I don't know if it was, yeah. I don't know if it beats uh, Titanic or whatever, but <laughs> but I thought it was fine, you know. But I, I knew I recognized the name of James Horner. Who is that? And then I, I, I looked him up and yeah, he's he did Titanic, Avatar, mm-hmm. The Mask of Zorro. A bunch of stuff. So yeah, he is probably. I don't know if he was a probably wasn't a huge name then. I'm guessing, but of course he went on to be a big name in uh, movie scores. So good point. Yeah, they, they got him. Uh, they got him before he was super super big. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing he doesn't put crawl at the top of his uh, <laughs> resume. What is crawl? I mean, crawl is a terrible title for this movie. Don't it you is. Think? I I didn't know. I had to ask the internet. Because I watched the movie and I thought, what at first I before I watched the movie, I thought crawl was the I called it a giant fidget spinner. The the weapon that he uses <laughs> looks to me like a big fidget spinner. That's a perfect description. Henry used to mess around with fidget spinners all the time. So that that's kind of what it looks like to me. But crawl is the planet. Yeah. I don't know if they yeah. ever I think they say the name once. Obi-Wan Kenobi, as I call him, says it. But I noticed tonight the way he pronounces it is like, and maybe this is correct. I don't know, but it's like, I can't even repeat it. It's like cruel or something. <laughs> some weird, to my ear anyway, some weird pronunciation. So I didn't know either. I had to ask this movie like, um, even like, uh, like the Space Knight of Crawl or a- any other title, but Crawl would be yeah. better. The 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 beast, the beast that attacked Crawl or, or something. Um, that's that's way better. So there are some names or some people who would go on to become names attached to this movie. And I sit down to watch and, uh, you know, the, the opening starts and, and the music is is kind of good. I kind of like it. It's not, you know, John Williams, Star Wars. On a distant planet, a great kingdom was ravaged by beings who came from the future. Conquer the universe. Now, the only survivors follow a doubtful seer and a throneless king. They will hold her in the Black Fortress. You must have help. Fighters and brawlers. Desperate men. Those are the kind of men I need. Well, you heard him. We are now an army. <laughs> At the end of an impossible journey, they must fight an invincible enemy. Here's the knowledge you seek. I shall be your king. In the fortress, you will face more than the slayers. What is about to happen to them could never have happened on Earth. 
Pictures presents a world apart from anything you have seen before. Crawl. Uh, for those of you listening, there may be a clever edit here. I'm not sure where exactly the recording left off. I'm pretty sure we did save everything that we got that we recorded up until now. So I'm pretty sure that's still there. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know what the last thing you heard me say was. I was about to talk about, you know, the ship had just landed on the planet. And uh, we were hearing the Obi-Wan Kenobi's voiceover, uh, the mm-hmm. old man. We, we don't know who he is yet, but we're hearing a voiceover. I'm pretty sure it's the same guy. He, I didn't write it down word for word. It's something about uh, many worlds have been enslaved by the beast and its army of slayers, which is a great name for an army, an invading army, really. Yeah. And uh, he's talking about how, you know, basically Krull is one of those worlds. That's one of the few times we hear the name Krull in the movie. And I think he says something about uh, there's the there's this prophecy that... Um, how does it go that that uh, a, a girl will meet a princess will marry a prince and and they'll have a son and right. the son the 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 prince and the and the princess will rule the planet and the son will rule the galaxy or something something to that effect I guess is that have I got it you know, I wasn't, yeah that's right okay that's it that's it I'm a little confused even after watching the whole movie is Cole are Colwyn and Lisa the ones who are going to have the sun who's going to rule the galaxy or is Colwyn the sun who's going to rule the galaxy? Any idea? It, it's confusing because I read something somewhere about this that said that Colwyn and Lissa are going to rule the, their planet, but their sun is going to rule the galaxy. That's what I was confused about. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not very well. I mean, it's, it's bonkers. It's not really well said. I guess. I guess if we had gotten crawl part two, maybe that would have been their son or something. But yeah. alas, yeah, alas, we we haven't we haven't yet. I mean, maybe we could work up a, a, a treatment. Maybe we could we could do a pitch for. Uh, hey, they're doing a lot of reboots now. They're doing Absolutely. a lot of reboots. It, this is the the time. We've got to seize the opportunity. <laughs> Second Duck on the Right and Other Very Short Stories is my new short story collection. Duck con artists, zombies, things on fire, supervillain angst, and a future without poop are just a few of the topics in these stories. Also the occasional really bad poem. Waddle on over to your favorite bookseller or swim downstream to my website, carnivalofgleecreations.com, for more information. Insert quacking up joke here. So, hey, let me throw in something, a question yeah, to you, which I didn't understand until I watched or read something. It said that this civilization comes from the future. That's why they have laser weapons and that the people on the planet don't and are on horseback and have swords. Okay, because I was very confused by this, too. So I don't think so- they established it in the movie, but it said somewhere that I read that these this civilization is going to come from the future okay uh which explains why they have lasers and and our cast doesn't okay i just uh, i i was kind of chalking it up to sort of the star wars model where it's a galaxy far far away and 
there's a weird mix of of super advanced technology and and nothingness, you know. But right. your idea is good too. It could just be the future. I was a I thought it was a little odd. I maybe we're jumping ahead, but in like the battles, like you said, our heroes would have swords. But what was the deal? Did, did the the Slayer the Slayer armor had were they like spears that also shot lasers? Was that was that what they were? Because at one point there's yeah. a bow and arrow and. I don't know what was going on there, but that's right. It, it was very confusing. Uh, yeah. That they were able to like shoot people with lasers. It seemed like with those things. Well, yeah. it, and I, guess I, I was sort of buckled in for the ride. I didn't understand <laughs> what exactly I was watching, but I think there's a lot of points in this movie where that's kind of what it comes down to. Right. Don't, yeah. don't do what we're doing right now and ask a lot of questions. No. And, and like, I think we, the start of the conversation, like we said, if you're 10, and you're into the movie, you don't care, you know, you just, you see the guy with the sword and you like that and that's cool. And you see the guy with the laser and that's pretty cool. And I, I, I say that, but then I think about my kid when he was 10, he definitely would have questioned it, but a lot of kids wouldn't. I might not have when I was 10, kids are a bit more sophisticated now, perhaps in different ways. But speaking of these battles, we're going to get to a big battle here in a second, but first we yeah. have to meet, we have to meet our heroes. Uh, Colwyn is a prince from, I don't know, some particular kingdom. It's not real clear. He's he's like a different, he, he's the son of a different king, uh, of a king on this planet, I guess. I don't know what the political situation is on Kroll, but there seems to be, I guess, two kingdoms. Is that what's going on? Colwyn is okay. the son of one of the kings. Lissa or Lisa, I'm not sure, is the daughter of another king. Okay. And there's about to be a wedding. The Colwyn and Lisa or Lisa are going to get married. Lisa's dad is not real excited about this idea, but Lisa is like, well, this will you know, bring our families together, create an alliance. We're under, I, I, I kind of like the, I, the fact that in this movie, we kind of jump in the beast and the army they've already invaded. We're not telling that story. Um, the story right. is they're already here. And what are we going to do about it? I also kind of like, we don't really know why. Exactly. We don't get all the, we don't deal with all the backstory, who the beast is and why they invaded. I guess maybe we get a little bit of that. Um, it, it, like he wants to marry Lissa. I wasn't clear. Yeah, that got weird. That. that got weird after a while. But yeah, because he seems at one point to be suggesting that he's going to marry her. Maybe, maybe the idea is that then they would have a son who would rule the galaxy. Maybe that's his angle. Could be. Could be. But I, I'm kind of okay with not knowing a whole lot about who this beast is. Although when we get to his fortress and stuff, there's all this cool stuff going on visually in there that I Mm kind of want somebody to do maybe like a graphic novel just so I can see some more art of this place because it's really kind of interesting looking. Uh, But for now, we don't know a whole lot. Yeah, totally. All we know is that this planet is in the middle of an invasion. They need to to work together. They got to defeat the beast. And one way to do that is to merge the two kingdoms into one. And that's going to be with this wedding. So Colwyn arrives with his father, the king. Um, they're going to have this wedding. There's this whole thing about Lisa's dad still grumbling about, well, I don't know, I don't know about this. And Colwyn's saying, well, it's not really up to you, old man. I'm paraphrasing. But basically, that's his, right. his tone. Like, she and I have decided we're getting married. This is happening. Looking at this movie from, like, the way that we're looking at things in 2021, uh, boy, like the um, patriarchal 
uh, <laughs> themes that were going on here were pretty severe. I mean, Lisa yeah. had almost nothing to do. Well, in a couple of minutes. Uh, the, the way women are portrayed in this movie uh, are. Yeah, man. Lisa doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie, except look scared. In a couple of minutes, in the, in the middle of the big battle that's about to happen, at one point she says, well, I'll come fight with you. And he more or less says, no, nah, it's a man's job. You wait here. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly what he says, but that's pretty much what he says. That's so. a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Again, you would never see that today, right? No. Now that we're have, we have like Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman and all these badass women. Yep, definitely. Yeah, you're right. Um, so you can definitely tell this was made in a different time. So. Sure. So then we get to the oh, then they they kill Colwyn's dad. Yeah. So so they're dad. having the ceremony. I think I guess they actually get married. I guess. Did you like the way that the wedding thing came back? The fire thing came back. I I, I, yeah, I like that. I did too, and I didn't. The, on my first viewing of the movie, I didn't fully get what was going on there but i think what happens is so there's the ceremony and part of the the wedding ceremony is what is it she she dips her hand in the water and she somehow retrieves fire from the water or something and they have this whole speech yeah there's like this um thing like uh i dip my hand in the water and give my fire to the woman i pledge my love to it's all very weird and he says something they each say something comparable like i give my fire to my husband and he to my my wife or whatever but they i don't think they actually finish it i think they start to do that and then they finish at the end of the movie like you said they bring it back around and i didn't fully appreciate like oh okay i get it now so they're starting to do this and the slayers show up the invading army start wiping out everybody both the kings are killed i think yeah they're both killed uh, right. This is the point where Lisa's like, Colwyn's ready to go fight. He's going to go off and, and fight. And she's like, well, I'll come help you. And he's like, nah, I'm good. You stay here. I don't remember exactly what he says, but that's basically what he says. But then he gets knocked out. He's unconscious. Uh, Lisa gets grabbed. She gets kidnapped because that's her job in this movie is to be kidnapped, basically. Yes. yes. Uh, the story is going to really just be trying to get her back. Which so- is super video gamey. Yes, it is. I think the obvious game would be, uh, Atari game would be traveling through the weird forest mountain things that they go through to get to the fortress, and then you have to get into the fortress. But like I said earlier, I suspect the game is going to be, when I play, is going to be a lot narrower than that. And and yeah, you know, partly because of limits of Atari and stuff. But So I am curious to see what it is. Yeah. I didn't ask you when we started talking today, are you an Atari guy? Do you do you play Atari? I assume you probably, we're about the same age. You probably had an Atari as a kid, I'm assuming. Yeah, I, I have a, a real soft spot for Atari and those Atari games. I grew up playing them like you did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just being sort of nostalgic about those years um, and having more memories of playing Atari in those games. Uh, I kind of just found your podcast, you know, just okay. Googling stuff. And then it's just such a trip to be, like listening to you play Atari games and you t- talk, you know, even just you reading the manuals, I get, I enjoy so much. Yeah. Well, that's part of, and that's it for me too. Just the nostalgia of it. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll see what the curl game is like. So, yeah. So the, the, the fight, the battle's over, I guess this is where what I'm calling Obi-Wan Kenobi shows up the old man. Right. So he's tending to Colwyn's wounds. 
Cohen wakes up. He's like, holy crap, who are you? Something to that effect. Or does he seem to already know who he is? I don't remember. Basically, the old man tells him that his father's dead, that Lisa's been kidnapped. This is how I remember the movie going. And Colwyn's all bummed out. And he's all weepy. And, oh, my bride is gone and my father's gone. And Obi-Wan is telling him, suck it up, basically. Uh, You're king now. Act like it, uh, more or less. Um, It's sort of like... um really star warsy and he says something like i came here to find a king i only found a boy that was it yes that i was that's what i was trying to remember yeah exactly that's what he says so he tells him to to pull his stuff together and i think this is where he tells him about the glaive the oversized fidget <laughs> spinner as i referred to right it. i had to look i had to ask the internet too what's this thing actually called so i looked it up and it's a glaive g l a i v e I don't right. think which makes explained. me just think of Jerry Lewis. So in Goliath, <laughs> you know, sort of a big comedy word. That would have been an interesting take on it if if that's originally how it got there. You know, Jerry Lewis uh, delivered it. You they never explained the name. I was saying that the glaive is myth and legend for the planet. They wear this, the kings all wear this around their neck. Colwyn is now learning that this is a real thing. And the old man, Yanar, I think is actually his name, something like that. Okay. I don't know how you say it, but tells him that this is the weapon that is prophesied or whatever as the only thing that can, that can defeat the beast. And it just happens that he knows where it is which makes me wonder why no one has gone to look for it before. But that's one of those things, I guess, you don't question. Is it like a sword in the stone thing where he says, like, only the king can retrieve it sort of thing? Yeah, or? I guess that's probably what it is. So, actually, I just uh, flipped the page in my notes and I wrote that down. He must have said that at some point. <laughs> so, good job. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so, he tells him uh, something like... Uh, well, it's up there in the mountains somewhere. Uh, but, oh, I can't go with you. You're going to have to go yourself, which I thought was odd. It was an odd line to include, I guess, maybe because otherwise we would be wondering why he wasn't in the next couple scenes. But yes, yes. I don't know. It felt a little strange to me. So it felt like a strange line. But so we get a couple of minutes of Colwyn climbing through the mountains, doing some free climbing. Uh, and this, really- was a, this was a very video. This was where I started to feel like, boy, this feels like a video game because we have the sequence where he's getting ready to climb up the mountain and all these rolling rocks start to come down at him and he's he has to dodge them yep. like you would if you were playing Crazy Climber or uh, yep. Moon Patrol or some kind of game. I could absolutely see that in an Atari game, uh, mm-hmm. climbing the mountain with stuff uh, falling down at you. And- um, maybe they would throw in, even though it's not in the movie like this, they would throw in some uh, uh, slayers with their lasers and stuff. I could absolutely see that. There you go. Yeah. Um, so he, he makes it up this mountain. He seems to know exactly where to go. I don't know how he does this, but he does. He finds a cave. There is a, a sort of a bubbling uh, lava flow. Evidently, this mountain's a volcano, I guess. He spots a thing <laughs> kind of floating, I suppose, in the lava. 
and it's shaped like a five-pointed star or a fidget spinner, if you like. Yeah, um, it really does look like a fidget spinner. It does. It, that, that's all I can think of when I see it. <laughs> um, and I don't get how he does this, but he sticks his hand right in the lava. Flames are kind of shooting up, I think, and he pulls out this uh, sort of burnt, crusted-looking thing, and and then all the 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 I guess I guess it's supposed to be cooled lava around this this uh, five-pointed star falls away, and it's this shiny, gorgeous metallic thing, and that's the glaive. So now he's got it. I actually thought that was kind of a neat effect. I, I, I yeah. appreciated the, the way that it sort of uh, all broke off seemingly by itself. I don't know how many yep. takes they had to do that. They, they had to. Uh, do to get it to do that or if they shot it backwards i have no idea but it, it looked cool yeah absolutely yeah you know like i say you know there are some sequence there are some special effects sequence in this movie that are horrible but there are uh, occasionally some that actually look pretty nice yeah. um and, and that was one of them then we cut to for the first of, of several times throughout the movie we cut to see what lisa's doing and she is imprisoned now in the fortress which looks really cool from the outside, the fortress just looks like this big mountain, really, uh, rocks. And But on the inside, it's it's all these tunnels, you know, sort of brightly lit, often kind of, you know, starkly white, sort of curved architecture kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in this particular scene, and I think in other ones too, she seems to be standing like right in front of what I guess is the beast's eyeball. That's kinda. right. I, it, it, I, I was very confused by that, but I... Yeah, I wasn't sure exactly what we were supposed to be thinking it was. I'm not sure either. I wonder if maybe we were supposed to get the impression that the beast is just huge. Okay. And again, they don't tell us anything really about the beast, but I think one thing that we're supposed to understand is that he's he's huge. He's like uh, a jolly green giant of uh, in Planet Invaders. <laughs> so he's so big that, that she is no taller than like the pupil of his eye kind of thing. And he's kind right. of, he's kind of looking down at her. I don't even know what they talk about. Oh, I think this is where he says, like you mentioned earlier, uh, you've been brought here for a marriage. Um, right. So, uh, and that I think that's about all they do there. So then we're back to Colwyn has reunited with the old man and, and the old man's telling him that, uh, you know, this new weapon you've got this glaive, you'll know when to use it. There's like very little, character development with uh colwyn i mean no. we know pretty much like I, I thought that was a not not to analyze this movie too seriously but yeah. but a major weakness in that you really didn't get to know colwyn he didn't seem to have any flaws um other than that one line about you're acting like a boy to give you a little bit of an arc of him you know rising to king at the end of the movie there wasn't a lot of humanity in yeah. Well, in any of the characters to really get you emotionally involved. And, and not to, you know, unfairly compare this to Star Wars again, was in Star Wars, you know, part four, you get a lot of backstory for Luke Skywalker with really not, not many lines. They're able to give you enough you need to know, enough about this character to understand who he is and kind of what his deal is and, and make you uh, relate to him a little bit more. You don't get any of that with Colwyn. No. Um, all you're getting is that he's a prince who's now king and he likes to fight. I think there's actually one point where he literally says that he likes to fight and that's about all you get. Yeah. They don't have quite, at least not yet, uh, him and, and the old man don't quite have the same, they don't bond quite the same way that uh, 
Obi-Wan and, and Luke do right. Uh, right away. So he tells them, all right, you're going to know when you need to use this weapon. Uh, now we got to find the Black Fortress. I know somebody who can help us. They got to go see, is it the Emerald Seer? Is that what they call him? Oh, this is, the, this is the old guy. Yeah. The other old guy. The, 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 blind, the, the, the blind old guy with yes. the kid. Okay. Living with I'm, I'm so glad that you got the plot summary down because there was, I, <laughs> well, I, I like did I said, not do that. So I, I, had, I had to watch it twice to get all this. So, Good job. And I'm still not entirely sure. Some of it I, I had to go to the internet to figure out. <laughs> um, so, so they got to go find this seer to, because some, and again, I don't know why no one did this before. They're going to go, because the, the fortress apparently moves around a lot. Right. Um, it never stays in one place. It's not, I guess, not uh, visible, at least normally. And it moves around a lot. So they don't, they never know from one moment to the next where it's going to be or, or where it actually is. They need someone like this seer to uh, tell them where it is. So, yeah. so they're off. They're going to go find him. But on the way, they're passing by this, uh, I guess, little pond or stream or something. And this fireball comes crashing down into the stream. And out of the water emerges our next member of this little party. And his name is Ergo, I think. Right. Played by David somebody. I should have written down his name. David Batley. I say that because I have Thank the IMDb cast list here. He, he looks kind of familiar to me. I didn't look yeah. up what else he's done, but he looked kind of familiar. Uh, I think he's, he's basically like the first bit of comic relief in the movie. That Would seems to be all he is. Um, yeah. For a while, in the first time I watched the movie, I thought maybe the old man had been hinting that they were going to find the weapon that would defeat the beast. And then this guy showed up and I thought for a while, is he the weapon? Oh, he's after you watch the movie for a while, he's clearly not. Um, he's just there. Like you said, for comic relief, I don't think, even though he's a sorcerer, I don't think he ever does anything that really helps solve the problem. In the movie, well, he has his little. I, I had a feeling you were going to give him a hero moment toward the end, and I, 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 I won't get ahead of you. But he did do the thing which gave me pause because it. There, there's basically a scene later with a young boy and a tiger, and they seem to be like non CGI. It's just this kid and this tiger. It made me a little bit nervous seeing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, it me too. But, but I wondered if because I, I was nervous too. But I wondered if did they maybe film those separately? I hope so. Two of them separately and then, uh, you know, put it together so it looks like they're in the same room together. I um, certainly hope so. Although there is the one bit. somewhere. Yeah. I was going to say that, that they call this a dangerous production, a very dangerous production. I don't know oh. what that means or or, well, or what. But anyway. your uh, 10-year-old kid, I don't know how old the character the kid is, but probably around 10, I suppose. Running around with a tighter is probably not real safe. No. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but Ergo. I get the impression his thing is supposed to be that he's not necessarily a great wizard because he's got his notes. He's always referring to his notes, um, right? how to do his spells. And all he ever does throughout the whole movie is turn himself into different types of animals. Yes. But I mean, we'll find out. We'll see all that later. But at first, when he showed up, I figured, oh, okay, he's a sorcerer. He's going to turn out to be like the, the, the key to something. Right. So he shows up and then... He basically just joins the group. There's really not even a whole lot of discussion about it, I don't think. 
yeah, why does he, he, well, they, they invite him and he says, no, I, I travel alone. And then he yeah. gets scared by the oh, Cyclops. Yeah. That's what it was. We'll and then he hears there's some sort of commotion or some sort of noise and he gets scared and runs back and decides to go with them. I didn't yeah. really follow what was going on there. He keeps talking about gooseberry uh, pie, right. too, which yeah. I thought was weird because this is a, a planet, a whole different planet. Do they have gooseberries on this planet? <laughs> or or puppies or geese for that matter because he turns himself <laughs> puppies a puppy and a goose or tigers so that all seemed weird to me but yes good anyway. point I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. So they're together now. They're they're traveling back at the fortress. The uh, eyeball basically has is telling Lisa, you know, you can go anywhere you want in the fortress because you're never going to be able to get out and you're going to be my queen. And she doesn't really say anything that I remember. Right. So now they're they're making their way through the mountains, the old man and Ergo and, and Colwyn. And the old man says, let's save some time. We'll take this other path. And it's kind of this narrow path. And they are set upon by the, this group of robbers. I'm not sure how many right. in total. Are there, is there like 10 of them? Maybe not quite that many. Yeah, there's enough so that over the course of the movie, like uh, <laughs> like the crew of the uh, Enterprise that die in the cold opens of Star Trek, you know, That's every, a good point. every so often someone gets killed. There is a pretty high body count in this movie. There are um, so many death scenes in this movie. Yeah. Well, and so many scenes of, of uh, people talking about how they're going to die. Yes. Um, I'm going to die there and and a few of them who who don't actually and then they come back later and do something and then they die so right no weird i don't know what was going on it almost felt to me like filler a little bit like mm-hmm. um you know like uh they're they're writing the movie and then they're like it may not filler but they're like uh oh we got this great death for this character but then later they're like no we need him back to do this other thing so we'll just bring him back and we'll say that he, you know, he didn't actually die then. He died here or something. Right. I, I don't know. There's this weird bit. So these these robbers are attacking uh, Colwyn and company because they want to steal their horses, I think, was the deal. Um, okay. Ergo talks about, oh, I'll turn them all into pigs. But then he turns himself into a little pig. There's this whole exchange between uh, Colwyn and the leader of the, the bandits. I keep calling them bandits. Uh, Torquil, I think, is his name. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, I had to look that up too. I most of the names I had to look up because I did. I could. The names aren't well. I mean, none of these names jump off your tongue at all. The way that Luke Skywalker, or Han Solo, any of those names do. Mm-hmm. 
So Colwyn basically basically is trying to recruit these uh, these robbers to join their group. They're all like, nah, you know, we're just in all, you know, we're in it for the profit. We're not going to join your cause. There's this exchange about how uh, something about, well, your your sons, you know, what's what's the world going to be like if your if your sons are enslaved by the beast? You know, you need to come and help us to prevent that from happening. And eventually they say, okay, so they join. Yeah, they join the party. Well, don't we have that? We have that one like younger bandit who's like inspired by what he's saying to Nicole oh, yeah. and he says, I'm with you. Yeah. And uh, he's like pure of heart or something. And then yeah. the others kind of come aboard eventually. Well, he makes the comment, you know, I, I don't have any sons, but I'm going to come with you anyway. At, that kind of thing. That's right. That's right. And um, this is where we get Liam Neeson and Robbie Coltrane as two of the two of the men. Yes, absolutely. So isn't there something, Bill, where he sees the glaive and he, the, the, uh, Torquil sees him with the glaive and that that's a big deal too? Like... As if oh. only the king should have yeah, a blade. I think there is. That's how I think that's how kind of how he proves that he's king. Okay. I, at least that's my impression. That that's yeah. kind of like his his ID. Like, oh, only the king would have that. <laughs> you must you must be the king then. Okay. They, they had no other way to prove it, I guess. So so they start traveling, I think, and then Ergo. I think he is this where he gets off his horse to get the gooseberries. And I think so. He gets almost gets shot. By a slayer, and the cyclops shows up, and I think he uses his spear to knock the slayer's arrow out of the air, so it doesn't right. it doesn't hit Ergo. So they meet the cyclops, and the old man explains to us about how the cyclops uh, they only have one eye because they made a deal with uh, the slayers in some distant past to uh, give up one of their eyes in exchange for the ability to see the future, but. Sucks for them because apparently the only future they can see is how they're going to die. Um, so that's why they're they're um, the slayers are their enemies because of that. They're like mortal enemies because of yep. that, that deal. It makes me wonder though how long this invasion's been going on because I get the impression that this deal with the Cyclops that this was sometime you know in the far past, but may- maybe it wasn't as far past as I think. That's where it gets really head scratching. Like if they're from the future, but the Cyclops has the thing with them in the past, that's when it just yeah. starts to get unwieldy. Some of the stuff is kind of, is is kind of fuzzy. Like I don't know if they thought it through or or it just got left out of the movie or, or what. And I guess it's just one of those things we're not supposed to really think much about. But if right. people didn't think too much about stuff, there wouldn't be podcasts. So um, <laughs> so they. I think maybe they asked the Cyclops to come with them and he's like, no, I'm good. Is that what happened basically? Or does he go with them at this point? Um, trying to remember. I think I know he goes with them for a while and then says he has to stay here, but then he comes back again. So yeah. he might come with them. I think they invite him at this point. So they approach a cave. And, and- no, what would be yeah, yeah. his equivalent to Star Wars? Like, who would, oh. would he maybe like Chewbacca? The Chewbacca? I was going to say, uh, sort of the, the big, uh, strong, sort of loyal dude who, who doesn't say a whole lot. Yeah. It's okay. probably not a perfect comparison, but because he, the, the Cyclops, who I, I think they actually say at one point, his name is Rel. Um, okay. I keep calling him Cyclops because that's what he is, but 
uh, I think Rel is not necessarily a buddy with any of these particular characters like Chewbacca and Han Solo, but um, yes, but it's probably about the closest I can think of as far as a, a, a parallel character. Yeah. So they're still on the way to find this seer and they, they find a cave and they go in and they see this guy. This is the right part. Am I in the right spot? Yeah. They see this old guy. I know there's, yeah, right. This old guy, old blind guy, just kind of sitting there. And he's the seer. The old man knows who he is. And he says that he'll look for the fortress for them. I think first they have to explain that, you know, there's a new king and this is what they want to do. They want to find the beast. They want to find the fortress. And he agrees to uh, to uh, look for it. Meanwhile, Torquil is trying to steal some emeralds because he's the emerald seer, of course. Oh, no particular. Right. And I didn't catch this until my second viewing either. But Torquil's in the background plucking emeralds out of a basket or something. I don't know why this guy's the emerald seer. It doesn't really seem to have any bearing on anything other than a chance. Yeah, he does to get to wear like a green cloak of some kind. I guess, yeah. Um, other than to set up the joke that they're about to set up, which is which must be what it is, yeah. Torquil's was stealing these emeralds, right? Because he's he's a robber at heart. So, and when the seer does his seer thing, this giant emerald in front of him kind of floats in the air and kind of spins around. I guess that's the equivalent of connecting to the internet. Um, <laughs> so, which is an issue I've had. It uh, maybe I need an emerald because I. <laughs> Those of you listening, I've had some internet issues in this recording, and maybe I need a spinning emerald. I'm not sure. <laughs> so the the location of the Black Fortress is revealed, although it, it makes me just wonder, how do they know it's not going to move again? But evidently, they know where it is. Yeah. So they leave. They take the, the seer with them, though. I don't remember why. Yeah, he does come with them. Well, isn't he seem to be... No, no, they because they do that neat bit later where uh, I was going to say, do, do, does the seer lead them? But it's the opposite. The seer wants to be led by Colwyn. Yeah, they leave. They all go together. Was it? Yeah, that's what it was, because he was starting to see where the, the, the fortress was. But then the, the signal gets disrupted. Basically, there was a big storm starts and they and it's the beast trying to disrupt the seer from seeing where oh. where the fortress is. Uh, so they they flee basically out of this uh, wherever this guy lives in this cave. Oh, and we didn't mention he has a kid living there with him, right? Uh, who's like who's named Titch, which I also had to look up. Um, I don't know what the deal is there, if they're related somehow. Later right. on in the movie, the kid refers to him as the only family he has, right? Um, but we don't know what the familial relationship is. We don't know what the story is there. But so the kid. And the seer and the rest of the group uh, take off somewhere in here. The payoff for the joke of uh, Torquil stealing the emeralds comes because he's showing his buddies, look at all these emeralds I got. And they're just rocks. And then we get a shot of um, the old guy laughing, like yeah. snickering. Himself. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> got put one over on you. Yep. So they're by head- the way, Hitch yeah. is like a, a, an Oliver like figure. He's just like a sort of. Um, Maul, please, you know, kind of adorable yeah. Moppet who doesn't have much more characterization than just being incredibly uh, adorable. I guess, yeah. I, and I, I I guess maybe from a, a making a movie standpoint, maybe he's the character that the the target audience for this movie 
in 83 was supposed to relate to maybe. Yeah. 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 So they're, they're going through this swamp. I think at least I looked to me like a swamp. Mm -hmm. They're looking for the, the spot where the three trees grow as one. See, I'm loving all this stuff. I mean, because oh, yeah. it's very Dungeons and Dragons, Dark Crystal. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm enjoying it. The individual parts are all fine. Yeah, I have no issue with that. Yeah. They're set upon by more slayers, I think, at this point. Cyclops shows up if he wasn't already there. Like I said, I can't remember if he was there already or not. Yeah. Is this where we get the scene where the slayer, I mean, the... um. The old man is killed and then replaced by a changeling. Oh, I forgot about that. Yes. That was kind of a neat scene. I, I actually like gasped during that scene. Yeah, it was good. So the seer sitting there and he sees, well, he doesn't see because he's blind, but another seer who looks exactly like him shows up and yeah, and kills him and takes his place. And then and he's got like black eyeballs. Yeah, that was the creepy part. He opens his eyes because he's had his eyes shut this whole time because he's blind. Right. Right. And then, yeah. And then once they're, you know, they, they've, uh, I think they had a little skirmish with the Slayers, if I remember right. Okay. They fight them off. I could be making that part up, but. No, I think you're right. But maybe they're distracted. So yeah. when the seer when gets killed, they don't notice. So they're moving on and they're they're taking the seer with them and then yeah he opened no one's looking he opens his eyes and it's those creepy all black eyes uh, it was a nice effect so they're headed on the way the cyclops has hung back i don't know exactly why other than to do what he's about to do which is oh there's a little exchange here about uh rel the cyclops explaining that uh the reason he's here at all is because he saw the old man come down from the mountain and he knew it was time to uh to join the group and you know that, that something was going to happen basically with right. there's more i also like the yeah. fact that they say about that they say about rel he doesn't say much he doesn't talk much it, it's just yeah. a little bit of thing where I, I don't know in some weird way it gives him a little bit of characterization yeah and then i guess somewhere in here i'm probably messing up the timeline here a little bit but somewhere in here after the group is split up rel is just standing there and the dead seer's body floats up, uh, the quicksand, which we totally forgot to mention. But Oh, the whole quicksand scene. There was a bit with the quicksand where they're walking along and suddenly the ground turns to quicksand. And the old man says something about how it's the beast you know, trying to keep us from getting where we're going. Or maybe the seer says that. But now that they've moved on, Cyclops is still standing there and the dead seer's body floats up out of the quicksand. So he runs off, uh, right. saves the group from an attack, I think, by the Seers. My notes have stuff in here about more gooseberry stuff. And now that the, the boy has lost his grandfather, maybe, or whatever the family relationship right. is there, the ergo tries to make him feel better by turning into a puppy. Because earlier, the kid okay. had something about having this conversation earlier in the movie about what they would wish for if they had wishes. And the boy said he wanted a puppy. And Ergo says something about, well, why don't you wish for uh, you know, a thousand puppies? And the kid's like, well, I only want one. This whole thing. So now that the boy's all sad, Ergo turns himself into a puppy. Right, right. And there's that neat scene where um, the changeling, that's what they say is that the creature that turned into oh, yeah. the seer, uh, gets a moment alone with Colwyn. 
and says, I want you to lead me. So Colwyn's back is turned and he reaches up and his hand turns into a claw and he's got Colwyn by the neck. And that's the moment where Cyclops comes in and saves the day. But, but I, I, you know, it was one of the moments in the movie. There were a couple of moments where I swear to God called me crazy. I was genuinely moved and I, or I was genuinely like, I felt like it was suspenseful. And this was one of the suspenseful parts. I really like, it was good filmmaking. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought that worked pretty well. Yeah. So back at the fortress, Lisa is kind of wandering around, and she comes. She sees a couple of weird things. There's a shot of of uh, what looked to me like a big alligator eye, kind of watching mm-hmm. her. I don't know what that was supposed to be. And then she also sees like a like a a headless, I don't know, a headless knight or something, some sort of a being, right. a cloak and a a helmet, but no face, no no head. Right. And I don't know quite what, what was going on here other than to tell us that she's in a really weird place. I don't know if anything else happens in that scene. I don't remember anything else. Is that is it that scene or later? I thought it was kind of a weird moment where the beast says to her, every moment that you don't marry me, like hundreds of people are getting slaughtered. So you oh, think yeah. about that, Lissa. And she's like, oh boy, I hope Coleman gets here fast. I don't know. It just was like an odd moment. You, you, you think yeah. that she... It's it's very unheroic of her to let people be slaughtered while she's waiting to be rescued. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. Again, uh, a a tribute to the misogyny of this movie. (laughs) Oh, and then I have, this is where I have my notes about destroying the the fake seer, uh, which I thought was a nice effect. He kind of melts. Yes. And it disintegrates. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. They talk about the changeling, all of that. I guess we did that already. So now... The, now they know the seer's dead, so they're like, oh no, how are we going to find the fortress now? Because the first time they tried in the cave, the beast you know, disrupted the signal or whatever, and they didn't find it. And now the seer's dead, how are they going to find it now? And the old man's like, well, there's one other person we could go to see. Right. And he's like, uh, she had another, you know, she's ancient and powerful and, uh, you know, it, it's risky, I think, basically. He's saying, but yeah, we could go, we could go find her. And isn't he yeah. like, I'm the only one who can do it? Like, yeah, I'm trying to remember what they called her. The, the, uh, yeah. the widow of the widow, the widow of the widow. The widow. That was widow it. Yeah. So he's like, uh, yeah, the others have heard of the widow of the web. They're like, they say she's death, that no one who goes there comes back. Yeah. And he's like, well, I think I could, I might be able to do it, mm-hmm. uh, but only me. So he's like, you know, you guys wait here. I'll be back. Oh, at this point, I, I noticed. They were on horseback, and I couldn't figure out where did they get the horses. Yes, good point. I know there's a scene later where they round up what they call the fire mares. The fire mares, yeah, run so fast that they shoot flames from their hooves. But yep. the, uh, prior to that, I I don't know. Yeah, they just suddenly had horses uh, at this point. But anyway, yeah, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He basically tells them, you know, I'm going to go find her uh, alone. If I go alone, I have a chance. Uh, if I don't make it, I guess I don't make it. Oh, and then there's this whole sequence about how one of the uh, robbers, his wife lives in a village nearby. Right. And she she can bring them food. I don't know how they get message get word to her that they need food. But uh, shortly thereafter, there some some women from the village have showed up and are feeding them. And Colwyn doesn't want to eat because he's all bummed out. And this one particular woman starts paying him extra attention, trying to get him to eat and so forth. And that leads us to another scene at the fortress 
of the beast trying to convince Lisa that Colwyn, you know, is just, just another guy. And, and he's, uh, he's already found another woman and he shows them, uh, he shows her Colwyn out in that field. And he appears to be, I guess, hugging this woman that had been trying to get him to eat mm-hmm. as proof to Lisa that, you know, that she's, he's, he's abandoned her and uh, basically that she should marry the beast now. She's not convinced. Yeah, my, my love would never betray me, she says. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Does it happen right away here that we go back to the forest and uh, and the woman reveals to, to Colwyn that she's working for the beast? That happens here. Yeah, I think so. I think that, that as the beast is showing her this little scene, uh, Colwyn says, there's no way I would ever cheat on my beloved. And then Lissa says, see, I was right. Colwyn would never cheat on me. And then you cut back to Colwyn with her and she says, I was supposed to kill you, but I can't do it. And then the beast kills her or something. Exactly. So that all plays out. And then we were going to follow uh, the old man for a little bit. I thought this sequence was kind of cool. He's approaching this cave and it's this huge room sized, more than room size, massive spider web. Yeah. The entrance to this cave. And then they occasionally get a quick shot of a, a sort of a creepy looking white, almost um, translucent kind of spider just kind of hanging out in this web. He, uh, the old man standing at the, the edge of this cave is like, you know, I seek the widow. And the voice comes back, you know, enter here and die, this kind of thing. So old man starts crawling through this web, kind of carefully trying to get through it. I think we start getting shots of this hourglass. And I never totally uh, understood the hourglass. Um, right. Is the deal, once he gets through the web, we meet, the, we see this old woman just sitting there uh, with this hourglass. Is, is the deal supposed to be that when she turns the hourglass over, it makes the spider stop moving? Is that, and you've got as long as it takes the sand to run out? Before the spider it's confusing you. now that you mention it because there's that which which I did get to be that I, I did get that that was the the idea. But then she says something later about these sands are the sands of my life. When they run out, I will die. So I guess they they have like a dual purpose of timing the spider as well as her life. I don't know. I guess it turns out this woman's name. The old man knows this woman from his, his past. And her name is Lisa too. I don't know why she has the same name. They never make, they make a deal out of the fact that they make a point of saying she has the same name as Colwyn's bride, but they never really explain why they're making a big deal of this. At least not that I understood. And and they talked about something in the beginning, the old man of like, you know, when I was your age, I was young once and I loved too, but it didn't work out so well. So now we kind of pick up that story. I thought it was actually, Again, like not a bad, not a bad bit that no. you know we we find out that that uh, that this was the this was the the young girl at some point that the old man had had uh, you know a love affair with. Right, <clears throat> and and now he hears this day for the first time that she had a son, um, as a result of that of that affair. Uh, and he asks, "Well, what happened?" And, and she says, "She killed him." Uh, which is kind of a, a bleak uh, thing to for a, you know a kid sci-fi movie, but that's apparently what happened. 
Yeah. And then they do this bit where he uh, reveals to, he, he, he makes her look like what she looked like when she was young. And, you know, your, your vision is a gift to me this whole bit. And then she's like, he's like, well, your vision is a, a gift to me as well. Uh, something like that. Yeah. There's um, this moment where she says, you know, how I, I know you could never forgive me for uh, killing, you know, for killing your son. And he says, you know, I've already forgiven you because this is the way I see right. you. And he shows her the That's mirror. Right. Yeah. And then it's, it's her as a young girl. So then he, she basically wants to give a gift back and, and, this is where they get this part. And I was confused, something about um, she breaks the hourglass. um, And somehow that's going to let the old man get through this back through the web out of the, uh, out of this cave. Um, I don't entirely understand how it works, but somehow it also means that she's going to die. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I know I got the feeling like she sacrificed herself. Yeah. She gave him the sands thereby ending her own life. I but guess it was so. Yeah. I mean, first, first he had said something about how he was just going to stay there with her. Um, oh, okay. I think. And then uh, somehow that plan changed and, and yeah, and she smashed in it because he has the sands and that comes up later. And it almost looked like as he was leaving, he would sprinkle some of the sand as he was going a little bit. Um, right, like he, he sprinkled some and that made the spider retreat or something? That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah. Um, somewhere in here, I guess also he's gotten the information about where the fortress is. I don't quite understand that either. But so he, he makes it out, makes it back to the to the group. And somehow he is he knows now that the fortress is a thousand leagues from where they're at. And then he dies. I'm not entirely sure why, right. other than... He opens up his fist and, and the last of the sand grips from his, his hand and then he dies. This is like at least it's either the first or second like big scenery chewing death scene that yeah. we get. Oh, in yeah. The movie. And there are plenty to come. They love a good death scene in this movie. That's for sure. They really do. So now they're trying to figure out. Okay, we know the the fortress is a thousand leagues away. How are we going to get there? Because they got they also have to get there before sunrise. I don't remember why they have to get there before sunrise because it's the middle right. of the night now. I, I don't know. Wasn't why. it like you, 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 there's all this like um, dark crystal type stuff. Like you need to get there before the twin suns rise. Or... They do say that before the twin yeah. suns, but I didn't know why that was significant. Necessarily. Right. Yeah. Good point. So I looked it up a league. One league is 3.452 miles. Mm. Um, uh, Cause they're going to get horses. They said, well, let's get some horses. Uh, let's find some fire mares which are horses, and, and that'll get us there before sunrise. So I looked it up, 3.452 uh, miles in a league. So a 1,000 leagues is 3,452 miles. The maximum speed typically for a horse, a normal horse, is 55 miles an hour, which I didn't know. That sounds really fast to me. Yeah. Um, so if you do the math, at top speed for a, a earth horse, I guess, it would take, take 63 hours to get there okay so my question is how long is the nights on crawl or how fast do these flame horses these fire mares go because catching them doesn't seem to be that hard um, this is the kind of thing that i love about your podcast that you these are the questions that you ask on, on your episodes <laughs> and i love it these are the these are the ones i find more interesting sometimes than, than oh. the, the big you know the big plotty type stuff absolutely um, 
Uh, Because a lot of that plot stuff, I just kind of go with it. Okay, I guess. So so they find a a herd, I guess, of these fire mares. And they for horses that are supposed to be able to go really fast, it doesn't seem to be that hard to catch them. Good point, yeah. And they do. They they manage to lasso uh, a fire horse for each of them. And then we get a whole sequence of them taking off on these horses. And here, unfortunately, is one of the times where the special effects kind of let them down. Because... The effect of the the horse with the flaming hooves uh, looks really bad. It it does not look good. So also, was it just me, or did this sequence go on? It also like, goes on because and on. Like I, I don't know if they thought it was going to be like the equivalent of the bikes in the sky in ET or something, but it went on for like at least a full minute longer than it should have. Oh, it did definitely. I think they probably thought. These fire mares are going to be the greatest thing on film ever. <laughs> and then they sent it off to uh, whoever did the special effects and got it back. And they're like, oh, well, that's kind of a letdown. But by then, it was too late. The The actors, though, seem to be having a good time on their horses. So, yep. so that's there's something for that to be said for that, I guess. And then at one point, the whole herd kind of, and this is, I guess, an ET moment. They just kind of fly through the air. Um, right. They come to a cliff and they just kind of keep going onto the other side. So I guess they fly too. I, I, I don't know. You know, it's um, interesting. I, I watched the, cause God bless YouTube. I, I watched Siskel and Ebert's review of Krull. Oh, really? Yes. And uh, Roger Ebert, by the way, called it one <laughs> of the most boring, nonsensical, <laughs> illogical fantasies in a long time, maybe all the way back to Dragon Slayer. <laughs> Wow. Uh, but anyway, Siskel was saying that it made sense to him when the horses were running through the fields of wheat that you would see flames burning as yeah. if the wheat was burning. But he said then when the horses were running through the sky, what was supposed to what was burning? <laughs> Why well, Ebert said I, I have no idea. Roger was kind of he was done with it at that point. Yeah, I mean he had already insulted it, so I just took, as far as what's burning, I just took it as, well, the flames are effectively the hooves are burning in the sense that the flames are just coming out of the hooves, sure. like uh, out I of a tailpipe be- or something. I don't think anything's burning necessarily. It's just kind if of. If you come out of this movie and your biggest question is <laughs> why are the fire mares or, uh, hooves burning in the That's sky? Right. You're, there are yeah. way bigger fish to fry in this movie. Yeah, exactly. So whatever all of that be you know whatever all that is they make it to where they're going which turns out my note here is that this uh really hard to find fortress again not that hard to find apparently so uh they arrive they're climbing through the rocks they leave the horses somewhere and they just kind of climb through the rocks the slayer army starts shooting at them here we here's where the body count count starts going up we lose a, a robber right here uh, I don't think he really gets a death scene. I think he just dies, and they uh, and they move on. Okay, Cyclops. By the way, uh, uh, the quicksand scene was another scene that was well done, didn't you think? Oh yes, yes, definitely. We should have said that. Yes, I did. Yeah, think it, was it was really well done. It just makes me think that there was a time in TV and film, TV probably more so, uh, where quicksand was a, a big deal. It seemed like every yeah. show you watched had a, an episode where somebody got stuck in quicksand. Yeah, it would be 
really fun to somehow do like a quicksand scene. <laughs> the only other one that comes to mind right away is Blazing Saddles. Is there a big quicksand scene? Blazing in Sandals did it. Uh, yeah. Gilligan's Island, which was a lot earlier, did it all the time. Oh, great. I was just watching some 80s show just recently and they had a quicksand scene. I can't remember now what it was. Uh, but it seems like there was an era where the go-to at some point was let's put them in quicksand. And yeah, yet in the yeah. last 20 years, I can't think of anything I've watched where anybody fell in quicksand. So, <laughs> but anyway, the scene in this movie, quicksand scene done really well. Yeah. And, you know, it, as long as it is, I think, you know, I'm, I like seeing these guys riding their horses, even though it goes on a little bit too long. So they arrive. Uh, Cyclops is here again. I don't know where he came from. But he's here. Right. He he's there, even though the last time we saw him, he went literally to like four different people and said, I can't go with you. Right. It's my time to die. Right. And they all said, oh, well, that's sad. But see ya. And and that was it. Evidently, we thought we were done with Cyclops. But no, he's here again. I maybe we're supposed to think because I think there's a bit earlier where somebody's talking to him about how. Basically saying, well, why, you know, why do you have to die now? Kind of leaving the idea as if it's oh. some sort of um, uh, free will thing. Like, well, who says you have to die now? They don't put it that way. Oh, okay. They don't put it that way. But yeah. that's, I wonder if that's what we're supposed to think, that Cyclops okay. was too much in his head. He was like, oh, why? I? They said I'm supposed to die mm-hmm. now, so I guess I'm supposed to. But now this is him saying, mm-hmm. no, I, I control my own destiny. Unfortunately, that just means he's going to die now. Right. <laughs> um, presumably, I, it certainly looks to me like he he does not make it out of this uh, next scene. Hi, this is Eight Bit Rocket Jeff Fulton from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari Podcast, and you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes Podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the vertical blank. Now back to Bill. So he, they, they find their way into the fortress. They're they're fighting with the slayers who are trying to keep them out of the fortress. And Cyclops is holding these big stone doors, I guess. Oh right. Open. Yeah. And he's he's you know got one arm on either door, and it's starting to close like elevator doors, and and he's pushing back, and it, it's even for him who. But presumably is really really strong and it's just closing and closing and closing and uh yeah i mean before the scene's over it sure looks to me like he's flattened between these doors yeah but the rest of them make it inside in my note here it says another bandit dies yeah the robbie coltrane dies at some point is that robbie he, maybe uh, that's where robbie coltrane buys it i'm not sure he gets like another scenery chewing like go ahead without me this is my time sort of moment. yeah and then we have liam neeson's death scene he gets a line about I think he's the one who actually is, goes on about. Okay. Um, oh, no, I wrote down his line, actually. His is, uh, my traveling days are over, my friend. Here is uh, where I stay. Uh, talking to, he's talking to Torquil. Okay. At that point. And then he dies. Uh, I thought there was an, uh, tell me if this is just me. I thought there was an oddly, like, homoerotic subtext in this movie that every time a guy died, you cut to his male compatriots looking very upset. I kept waiting for someone to say, I've always loved you. I love like in the blues brothers, you know? Huh? I guess I didn't really notice that. Yeah. Uh, 
just I don't know. Maybe it was just me. No, maybe it's because there were no other women in the movie, and I'm just wondering. (laughs) Well, that's uh, certainly part of it. Uh, You can't help. You can't help but uh, (laughs) then you know just. yeah, I mean, you just can't help but wonder, I guess. But I, I, I didn't pick up on it, but I, I can certainly understand okay. it. Yeah. They, they, they may have been trying to play the, um, you know, the, the the sentiment extra hard of like we're, you know, we're all brothers. We've been together a long time, and yeah. it was just laid on a little bit thick, so much yeah. so that it came off almost a little bit like how how close are these guys, you know? Yeah, no, I can, I can, I can get that. Um, mm-hmm. I do like. The idea that they were trying to convey some history, you know, getting back to the idea of, you know, not much character development, at least maybe we're getting the idea that these guys really are close. Yes. Um, and, and have some sort of a history uh, together. So that right. I appreciate that. Yep. So the remaining party is sort of moving through this uh, fortress that they've, I guess, pushed back, beaten back the, the slayers for the moment. They go through this, uh, sort of windy walkway and it's it's hard to describe this it splits and and basically becomes like one part is a a walkway and then the other another part is this the slide that drops down i'm not i'm doing a terrible job of explaining it but i'm trying to remember this part basically what happens is the the party gets split up okay and ergo and uh what's his face the kid oh right gets separated from the rest of the group that's right so they're they're going off in different directions now. Colwyn is, I wrote in my notes here. Colwyn says something like, "From here I must go alone." I don't know why I wrote that. I don't remember who he's talking to. Um, oh, I, I think Torquil. I think Torquil wants to come with him, and he says, "I go alone." Okay. So Colwyn approaches this dome kind of thing, this brightly lit room within the room that I think kind of had a dome on top, and he somehow he knows that's where Lisa is that she's in this locked in this thing and somehow he further he knows that this is the time to use the fidget spinner um, right. and he knows that that thing will cut through whatever this dome is made of so he throws it it you know sticks in the, the wall of this thing and starts cutting a hole in the uh, in the dome and he's all happy we cut and away for sort a of using it like like a carry or something i hate to be sprinkling all these movie references yeah. but he's like waving his hand and like through telepathy, making it. Yeah, like, I thought that was, I I would have expected him to be moving his hand as if guiding the uh, the star. Mm-hmm. You know, moving his hand in the direction that he wants to start him. But he's not. You're right. He's just kind of he's doing a, a telepathy thing. I guess it just yeah. it looks kind of weird. To right. Me. I don't. I don't think his. I don't think uh, Peter Yates gave him the best direction at that moment. Yeah. And there's certainly no scene like where Luke is learning to use like the lightsaber and training. He just, he gets this thing. And this is the first time we've seen him use it this way. He can just yeah. do it like an expert. Yeah. I, and I meant to mention that when he got it, that we're not going to get a scene like that, that he just no. seems to know uh, this thing that he didn't really even believe existed before today. Now all of a sudden he knows exactly what to do with it. But maybe I guess that gets back to what the old man said. Like, you know, you'll know when it's time that kind of thing. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting, you know, like they, um, if you've ever read, there's something bouncing around online uh, where it's like a long story conference between like Lucas Spielberg and perhaps Lawrence Kasdan about creating Indiana Jones. I've seen it, but I don't know. It was one of those things I kept 
marking and saying, I got to read this sometime, but I don't know that. Yeah, I it's worth skimming through it. And like they, they yeah. basically talk about how important it is to give him humanity, yep. you know, and that like, if you, how much more valuable it is to give a character like Luke or Indiana Jones and show them like trying and failing and trying and failing. So we relate to them and they don't just pick up their weapon and they're an expert with it. That when you see that in a movie, it's just really not going to resonate with you the way that it will if you take that if if you write it where they're more they're they're more flawed and more human. Yep, like when uh, Indiana Jones punches somebody, shakes out his fist because it hurts to punch somebody in the face. So, oh, thousand percent. Yeah, that kind of thing. Not not that I punched a lot of people in the face. To be clear, <laughs> but it looks like it probably hurts. So as we said, Ergo and uh, Titch have been separated. And Ergo turns himself into a titer to kind of help protect Ergo. Like, why can't they just, sh- why is it any harder to shoot a tiger with a laser than it is to shoot? Uh, oh, this is a good point. Yeah. I guess maybe he's thinking more like uh, he's more of a threat if he attacks as a tiger, assuming he doesn't get shot first. Right. I don't and, know. and by the way, the, the Slayers look absolutely like they're pooping their pants when they see a tiger. Like they've never seen a tiger before. They, they totally lose their cool when they see a tiger. Well, and they may not have, I guess, if they're from some other planet. Yeah. Um, but also, I like I said earlier, I question why do they know what tigers are on this planet? But anyway, so he's turned himself into a tiger. Some of the other robbers, including Torquil, have gone in a different direction and they get stuck in a room with these booby traps with these spikes coming out of the wall. Right. So they're, they're in trouble back to Corwin and Lisa. They're all happy because they've finally been reunited. I knew you'd come for me kind of thing. Big yeah. Cast they have, they like have this whole scenario and, and the, the princess at, at the first yep. level of Donkey Kong. Yep, exactly. So something happens and the dome starts to collapse. They run away. I think basically is this where the beast shows up? I think. Um, yeah. Well, they, they, there's this neat thing that they do where they battle, and you think it's over, but it's not. Yeah, I think that's right. Colwyn uses the star to kill the beast, or at least appears to, and then he just kind of disappears. Right, the beast. Well, there's a sequence where he, which was I didn't understand what. I had a feeling this was coming, but he he tries. To, to retrieve the star with his teleportation yeah. he tries to retrieve the glaive from the beast and yeah. it's like stuck in the beast's dead body okay so and it's stuck in his body i couldn't figure out what it was stuck in okay that makes sense i think i think, I think you're probably right that makes okay. more sense but he, yeah but he can't it won't come back to him for some reason right um, and i which i didn't understand right so how does he get it back then? And then does he does he like physically go up to take it, and that's when the beast comes back to life, like uh, Jason? No. I think so. Uh, I'm not really good. I think so. And yeah. is this so? Is that when they decide to use the fire again? Yeah. Well, that's when Alyssa says to him something like, "The power isn't the glaive; it's you." And he says, "No, it's not me; it's us." It's our, it's, it's right. our true love will defeat the right. beast. And then they bring back the fire. They make the fire happen again with their hands yep. and yep. they burn the beast down. Yep. Which was kind of neat. I mean, I, I didn't think that was coming back. Yeah, no, I think it was good to, to wrap it back around to that. Uh, certainly. I sort um, of feel like um, if, if, if you went into this movie in like 1983 thinking 
this is going to be like, maybe this is going to be as good as Star Wars. You would be really, really disappointed. But if you're watching this movie now with like low expectations, it's totally enjoyable. At least I found it that way. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's not good, but it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Yeah. Although I don't think it, I don't think it falls into the realm of it's so bad. No. that you can you can laugh at everything but it's no it's not great either it's sort of in that middle ground where if you have an open mind about it and you're not in too critical of a mood you can have a good time but it's exactly. not a um it's not a uh mystery science theater although i think it has been on mystery science theater or riff tracks or something i, I don't think it's a type of movie for one of those shows no necessarily but it's not it's not great cinema either so no. And then we don't we get one more death scene, which is the one of the the, the three guys in the booby trap. Yeah, and that app are Torquil and then uh the 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 young kid who joined up with him in the beginning. Yeah. Uh and then one of the, the, the third guy dies. So that's another scene where someone dies. And it's real it's kind of gruesome too, because the spike is slowly sticking into his gut. Yeah. It's creepy. Yeah. Um, and I thought the I thought the other guy died too, but I guess the spikes didn't go in that far or something. I was a little confused because it looked like it was pretty much going to kill all of them, but it, it didn't. Sure, I didn't think Torquil was going to die. I was pretty sure of that, but I thought the other guy was going to die. He yeah. did, apparently. So he, he uh, so that's another death. I'm still not, I get, do they set the beast on fire? Is that what happens? Um, I think they do. Well, no, isn't there like another spectacular, like um, melting sort of wicked witch scene where they set yes. the beast on fire and he sort of shrivels? There's also a lot of shriveling, yep. melting. Yep. In this that's movie. what. It, yeah, I found my notes here. So that's they use the fire, wrapping it back around at the beginning of the movie, destroy the beast, big hugs all around the spike room where Torquil is. The spikes retract, and the two surviving guys from that room get free. But now. As in, as with every you know adventure movie ever, once the uh, the threat is neutralized, the building that you're in is going to collapse. Um, right. Every every old James Bond movie ended that way, <laughs> um, and this one does too. Th- this movie does too. The fortress now that the beast is dead, the fortress is collapsing in on itself. So everyone starts running. They got to get out. Uh, they they find a blood trail that they figure must belong to Ergo. So he's probably still alive. So they got to go find him. I, 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 I wrote down why Ergo, why not? Why didn't they think it was possibly Titch? That they was kind of funny. They don't even mention Titch when they're talking about, no. we got to find, find out if Ergo is alive. Aren't That's they true. Curious, aren't they curious whether the kid's alive? Yeah. But, I mean, because earlier in the movie, they made this whole speech about how, ooh, well, Titch, you're, you're part of our family now. Right. All this. But at this point in the movie, they kind of forget about him. He find they find uh Titch and the Titer. The Titer turns back into Ergo. It, I don't quite understand Ergo's process because he seems to turn into these creatures for un unspecified amounts of time. He doesn't seem to have a whole lot of control over it. Once he's the creature, he's that way and for he can't control when he turns back into himself. At least not that I can figure out. But yeah, we, we- you don't seem to get any kind of rules or context for his powers. Exactly. But he does turn back into Ergo here. He's wounded. We don't know how I got wounded, but he's wounded. So they're leading him back out of this collapsing fortress. And then, they oh, so they're running, they're running. 
They're running across the collapsing bridge. Uh, there's lots of flames. Oh, right. Uh, oh, wait. I had a question for you. Yeah. Okay. Did I miss something? They they made a big deal of them scaling up that castle. And yeah. then when we see them coming out, <laughs> like they're all there. And the next thing we see is them running. Like, I was like, how did they get down? Yeah. No, I think you're correct. They just don't show you that. No, they do not. And it was sort of like the equivalent of like scaling like a mini version of Everest. Like they were going oh, horizontally yeah. straight up. Yeah. Uh, it was not easy. And and now they don't even cover them nope. coming down. Nope. Nope. Okay. Maybe, I, I'm uh, not make sure you miss that. Maybe, uh, you know, in the, in the process of collapsing, maybe the, the various levels of the fortress shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things you don't question, I guess. Okay. So they get to, I guess, the final, the, the exit door. And I don't quite get how this works, but Colwyn doing that telepathy thing again, sticks his hand out and somehow is able to burn the rock. I don't think you can burn rock necessarily, but <laughs> uh, he does. And, and it, it reveals the, the exit to this, to this fortress. Oh, um, yeah. Erdro has a funny line about how he should have stuck with puppies instead of turning into a tiger, I guess. Right. And then uh, I didn't quite understand what was going on here because when the bandits attacked Colwyn and his group earlier, did Colwyn put them all in handcuffs or did they already have handcuffs on? Is that? Yeah, I was unclear about that. It, they, they all had manacles or manacles yeah, on yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh, and he... I don't understand why they continue to wear manacles throughout. I don't know. I was confused. But they may, at this, whatever the reason, at this point, they make a big deal of the fact that, that Colwyn has the key for this manacles. Evidently, mm-hmm. in all the kingdom, there is one key for these manacles. Right. And only two, well, two, I guess. Only two people carry the key for the manacles, the king and the Lord Marshal. And Colwyn hands a key to Torquil and... And that's when Torquil says, well, you know, only the Lord Marshal can have that. And, and they share a big laugh because, of course, Torquil's now his his Lord Marshal, which I guess is yeah. like his, his right-hand man or whatever. Right. But I didn't get the key thing. Are there are there literally only one? Is there literally only one key in, in this kingdom? I, I don't understand. But Yeah, I, very strange. Yeah, very strange. But anyway, it's a nice little moment, I guess. Uh, and then we get a voiceover, a girl of something I can't read in my notes. She'll become queen. She'll choose a husband who becomes king and together. Uh, and then they'll have a son who will rule the galaxy. So the prophecy has come true. Good is good defeated evil. Exactly. And that is the end of the movie, right? Yeah. That's it. That's it. Phew. We made it. So let's just, uh, I, will, one, I will read you Ebert's review again. Oh, one good. of the most yeah. boring, nonsensical, illogical <laughs> fantasies in a long time. It is illogical. <laughs> boring is a, uh, it's a little extreme to say it's boring. Yeah. There are slow, it's slow paced. It's, it's not, no, it's not even slow paced. It is, well, what I wrote in my notes, the next thing in my notes here is, is the first line that came came to mind as far as what I thought of this movie once I was done watching it the first time, nothing really felt earned in the movie mm-hmm. in the sense that they just kind of lope along. Well, now we got to do this. Now we do this. And there was no big crescendo to my mind. Everything was just kind of like by the numbers. Okay, well, now we do this and then we do this. And, and, uh, and now the movie's done. 
I think that's right on. It was sort of like one of those choose your own adventure books where you, yeah. it, it's not like the scenes built on each other or the narrative. That's what I'm trying to say. Itself. Yeah. It, it just was a random series of like Dungeons and Dragons, like escapades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I can totally picture this as a Dungeons and Dragons scenario. The guy saying, you're in a room with the Slayers. What do you do? Well, I turn into a tighter and then somebody rolls a, a 12-sided die and says, oh, okay, you're successful, but you take four points of damage, that kind of thing. Um, it right. totally feels like that. Yep. Uh, now that you now that you say that, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. No, and, and you're right. I mean, it, I, I wouldn't put my finger on it, but that's exactly what it is. There's no... There's no crescendo. There's nothing building in this movie. Yeah. Um, that's a good way to put it. And maybe that's back to, you know, even though I said I kind of like just being dropped into the middle of this invasion and I don't necessarily need to know anything about this beast or why they're here. But maybe it would have helped if I did know more about who they were mm. and why they're here. Uh, maybe that would have maybe if there had been more of a hate to use the comparison again, but more of a Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker relationship between these the the beast and Tolwyn, you know, so that mm. the showdown felt more, more uh, like there were more there was more tension. Right. Um, yeah. Or if the, if there was more characterization given to this beast, I mean, we love seeing Darth Vader be Darth Vader and be so fearsome and such a badass, but we didn't really get much of the beast or understand the logic of the beast or any of it. Right. So maybe maybe it would have helped to have all that, even though I said earlier I didn't need it. I, I, I don't know. It was not. I, I've watched worse movies. Yeah. It was uh, it was an OK time. I am curious to see what the game is like. Or for you people listening to this in December, I was curious. And now <laughs> here, here's where I say a thing about the game that I played last episode. <laughs> um, insert thing here. I don't, I don't know. It was all right. I don't really have any other complaints. Do, do you have any other nice things to say about the movie? Um, one thing I wanted to say about the movie was I thought this was kind of true. Um one day I was on, uh, I was working on a show called Stuck in the Middle for Disney and we were looking that is, for a... I'm sorry, not to interrupt you. That was also a show I really liked. Oh, um, thank you. I don't know. I, I'm sorry, I don't know if the kids got into it so much, but I, I liked it because it was working on, on levels that I'm not used to seeing in those kinds of shows. Right. Um, boy, oh boy, yeah, that, that show, I mean, our, our executive producer, Linda, so brilliant, funny, and, and she set such a high standard on that show. And we would yeah. often be like, you know, it doesn't have to be this good or it doesn't have to be this complicated. It doesn't have to be this funny, but right. she really wanted it to be as good as it could be. So, yeah, it, it definitely has more snap to it than a lot of other shows. Yeah, it was it was trying different things. And I definitely, definitely. But, but I'm Thank sorry, you. I, I interrupted you. No, so um, one day we were looking at, uh, we had a bit on the show where the two two of the kids do like a buddy comedy, uh, a buddy cop movie, like a lethal weapon kind of thing. So we were looking for something to parody and we we brought up uh, the trailer for Tango and Cash okay. on YouTube. And we're watching it, you know, and it was, this is what, like 1988, 89. And it was just full of this hilarious, like tongue in cheek dialogue, like, um, or maybe not tongue in cheek where Kurt Russell and Stallone are like in the locker room together. And Kurt Russell says, uh, so I hear you're the second best cop in LA. And uh, Stallone says, Oh yeah, I hear the same thing about you. 
And, and someone on YouTube in the comments wrote, this movie came out just before irony became a thing. <laughs> and we were laughing like, that's exactly right. Like you could not pitch uh, something so straight as Krull is played today without some sort of subversive element to it or some kind of, like now that we're in the age of the Simpsons and Family Guy and, and South Park and all this, it's just so much of Krull from the beginning was so like simple and heartfelt and fairy tale like There's just no way it could live today. We've become too, sar- too sarcastic, too sardonic. You know, kids would just laugh it off the screen. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know? like my like my kid did. Yeah. Us, so, I mean, in a way, it's kind of sad. Like, there's no, you know, it's a little bit of a loss of innocence in a way that that uh, you know that that's true. But but it did. That's the kind of way I felt in the beginning of this movie when they were laying on all that stuff. Like, there, there's a prophecy that the king and the queen will have a child that rules the galaxy, and you know, it was just a little bit. Um, if that's the word. Yeah. No, that, I think that's a perfect word for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing I was going to say that um, I thought you might get a kick out of is, are, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? Yeah. Okay. Um, one, uh, I, I worked on a show for Netflix called No Good Nick and Sean Astin was on the show. Okay. And um, this, I just thought of this when I was watching the spider web sequence. And so I was just killing time. And Sean is such a great guy. He's such a sweetheart. And, and uh, I said, you know, we were talking about Return of the King. And I said, that had maybe one of the greatest monster movie scenes ever. W- w- when that guy was fighting that giant spider, like my skin was crawling. It was incredible. And he yeah. said, Patrick, that was me. <laughs> I had totally forgotten. I had only seen Return of the King once. Uh, but uh, I thought that I, th- that story came to mind when I was watching the, the not quite as good spider sequence in this movie. Not quite as good. No. <laughs> no. Funny. But, that uh, actually was the other show I was thinking of. No Good Nick. That was when I thought, not that I'm trying oh. to, to, to praise everything you've done, but oh, gotcha. that was another show that uh, uh, I thought was interesting because it was going different places than things see. like that you usually do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's another one. Again, so much about the people you work with. And yep. I've been so lucky to work with people who really um, – you know, have visions and, and want to do certain things and have, you know, high standards for what they're trying to do. And uh, they want to do good work. And I was just very lucky to be on those shows. Yeah. I was just trying, while we're talking, I was just trying to find something I'd read earlier listed shows that had done parodies of Krull. Ah. No, I can't, I can't find it right now. But suffice to say that Krull has been parodied uh, a fair amount. Interesting. Uh, not surprised. I, I, I read that it did make it that they, they put out some kind of Stranger Things ripoff DVD collection called Strange Things DVD <laughs> collection with like a cover that looks like uh, Stranger Things related. And one of the movies on that DVD is Crawl. Yeah, I believe it. Which totally makes sense. And, and yeah. it's right around the time of where that show is set. Yep. Yep. Uh, any final uh, thoughts about Crawl? Well, I, t- I told you I want to do a. Uh, Crow husbands and wives double feature with Lisette Anthony and uh, I'll be looking forward to that. With also uh, with with the you yeah, strippers versus werewolves. Strippers versus feature. werewolves. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I'm a little scared to even look that up on my. I don't want that in my Google. <laughs> so, 
Um, right. But uh, I think we just about covered it. I think we I think covered so. it. I think so. A sci-fi swashbuckler. That, that was crawl. So if uh, Ken Marshall came out of retirement, I don't know if he's retired or not, but if he came back and said, <laughs> sure, I'll play uh, Colwyn again and in uh, Crawl the Return, would you uh, buy a ticket to that movie? I definitely would. I, I Anyone who enjoys this podcast, and I'd like to think if I was listening to us talk about this movie, with how bananas it was, he's a, a my friend Linda's favorite, one of my friend Linda's favorite words. Uh, I would watch this movie. <laughs> Fire mares and swamps and quicksand <laughs> and uh, seers and changelings and uh, booby traps and lasers. Come on. There's a lot of that stuff they could do really well now and it would look awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've talked about Krull, uh, the movie. I did Krull the game in the last episode. And of course, Porky's. Uh, a year ago are you gonna in 2022 are you gonna be uh coming up with any more uh movie tie-in games for me you know i have to oh, look I forgot about I, halloween I, I did halloween that was that was because of you as well you don't yeah and did, did you do alien because of me as well i know i did alien was that was that because of you i don't I think it was that. it might have been i think yeah, it was yeah. yeah you were gen- you were extremely generous and, and and you said uh send me some game titles yep. uh, with my level of patreon so proud yep. to support yep. you and uh and a few of them were because i grew up you know obsessed with movies and, yeah. and th- these were also games that i couldn't get my parents to buy me porkies and halloween <laughs> and uh well yeah so i was really curious to see them yeah uh, so yeah I'll, 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 uh, I'll have to think i'll have to think that's something to look forward to Exactly. So, uh, Patrick, uh, before we go, is there anything you're working on that that you would like to tell people about, or that you can tell people about? Or, gosh, I I, I wish I I wish I had something. You know, I'm just sort of uh, I've always been someone who's a little bit more comfortable when someone comes over and says, "Hey, here's my show. Read it. If you like it, come work on it." I've been lucky enough to be able to do that a little bit, and. Uh, you know, rather than sort of being faced with a blank slate and what do I want to write, I tend to tie myself up in knots a little bit. So I'm, I'm trying to work on it. I mean, I, I admire you, Bill, and, and all your your creativity and your books. And, uh, you know, it's great. I mean, it's honestly one of the other things that drew me to this podcast was how much fun it was to hear not only, you know, hear these games, but to hear you kind of finding inspiration and telling stories about the dragons and adventure or, you know, whatever you're working on every week. They're, they're, they're fun. They're creative. They're interesting. So I appreciate that. I, yeah. I, actually, I started the show really more so that I could tell stories and the playing the games was a vehicle to do that. So. Uh huh. Cool. That's good that's, to know. That's how, that's how I envisioned it from the start. So. Well, it's nice, it's nice to have both elements. And you yeah. did a great job. Uh, thanks for taking the, um, I guess I was more the color commentator and you were the play-by-play, getting ex- not only getting the plot of Crawl Down, but explaining it to the yeah. viewers in a way, almost like you're doing literally, which you are, I guess, a radio show and, yeah. and kind of painting a picture for the viewers. So that's well, great. That, yeah, that's yeah. a skill. Yeah. The, the internet calls cult, Crawl a cult classic. But I don't know how, you know, I'm guessing a fair percentage of the audience for this show would have seen a movie like Crawl, but I'm not sure in reality how many have actually seen it. So, right, right. Well, I, I think that 
if they seek it out, they'll enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. Well, this is great, man. This is really cool. Thanks so much for having me. And, yes, uh, thank you. Thanks to your audience for putting up with me. And, and <laughs> I wouldn't have watched Crawl without you. So thanks for that, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's a, a blessing or not, but uh, <laughs> but you're welcome all the same. And that's our show. Huge thanks to Patrick McCarthy for coming and hanging out with me to talk about Krull. Uh, special thanks because Patrick proved to be incredibly patient. We were beset with technical issues during the recording of the show, some of which you could probably tell uh, from the occasional uh, little glitch in the audio. I apologize for that. But Patrick was very cool about it. It made the recording time drag out more than it should have, and uh, I used up a lot of his time. But uh, he was gracious and uh, fun to talk to, and I look forward to having him back uh, anytime. Thanks also to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, to take a chance at Pinball Spring. I used this uh, pun last week. I'll do it again. I don't know if it's really a pun, but here it is anyway. Leave a crawly good review of this show at Apple Podcasts. Preferably, glaive me a five-pointed star of a review. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check it out the show on Instagram. You can call me, too. I'm not going to answer the phone. Uh, one of my New Year's resolutions is not to answer the phone when people call. Um, it's, uh, you know, nothing personal. I just, I'm not going to answer it. But you can leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 about real about really anything you want and i will probably play it on the show check out the website www.carnivalofgleecreations.com there's stuff about this show stuff about my other podcast it's a podcast charlie brown um stuff about books that i've written that i may have mentioned once or twice uh just all sorts of info about what i'm doing over there on the website carnivalofgleecreations.com Please also consider supporting the show by subscribing on the Atari Bytes Patreon page, where if you do, depending on how much you uh, contribute, you can get bonus material or episodes early. Uh, All sorts of intriguing things over there. You can also, in a way, hang out with these fine folks. Uh, Current patrons, Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, M. West, Patrick McCarthy, Jeremy L., Mark Super, Jim Goble. Oh, reminder... Patrick um, is a Patreon supporter, and he is also he is a Patreon supporter at the $4 per month level, which means he gets to help program the show. And you've heard some of his contributions. He is the reason that I played uh, Porties uh, earlier in the year. Um, Halloween, I think, was also his suggestion. And uh, I think there's another one that I did that was his suggestion, too. I don't recall what it was right now. But if you subscribe at the $4 per month level, you get to help suggest games that I should do on the show. So if that's a thing that interests you, go check out patreon.com. Oh, one more thing to plug. As this episode is going out, or I should say as I'm recording this part of the episode, it's not ready yet. But very possibly by the time you're hearing this, or shortly thereafter, my annual tradition of writing a year in review will have been completed. I usually put it up on 
my blog, yes, I have a blog, I dust it off once a year uh, over on WordPress, and I do a review of things that have happened in the world during the past year, and I write it in the style of Goodnight Moon by Margaret Wise Brown. This is especially weird because there's no actual illustrations. It's just the words, but it's, as I say, structured like that poem from the children's book. So go check that out. I will be putting a link in my social media whenever it uh, is ready. So look for that. Uh, This would be a good time to hop on as a uh, follower on Twitter at Atari Bytes or at Carnival of Glee or over on the Facebook page for Atari Bytes or the Facebook page for Carnival of Glee Creations. And uh, you can keep up with what I'm doing. So thanks for that. All right, we're just about out of here. All that's left is to tell you next time on Atari Bytes. We're playing a game mostly because I saw this title and I thought, well, I gotta play that. We're playing Communist Mutants from Space. It's a 1982 game. Um, I've never played it before from what I've read so far, which is not much. I gather it's kind of like Galaxian. Uh, And if so, I'm looking forward to it because I enjoy Galaxian. Uh, Like I say, I picked it really only because of the title. So join us in 2022 for some mutants because the only thing that could make 2022 weirder than 2021 are mutants running around. All right, well, while you gird yourself for that, you should also go play some old games. They've missed you. Thank you.